faith from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. I asked before about teenagers listening to their parents, and I kind of want you now to think back to when you were a kid and think about how you were toward your parents in certain situations. Now, when you were a kid, which parent did you default to when you needed help with something? Is it mom? Somebody who was maybe a little bit more understanding, somebody who would maybe slow down and explain things in a nice, gentle manner and kind of lead you along. Or maybe it was dad. A little bit pushier, someone who wanted you to learn more on your own by doing instead of having him help you with too much. And so if you ever asked him, Someone who would say, I don't know, why don't you go figure it out? At least that's how it all was in my household. Maybe it was different for you, maybe it was reversed, maybe they were both gentle and helping, maybe they were both pushier and wanted you to learn on your own. I don't know. But what about this one? Which parent did you default to when you got in trouble? And when you knew that you were going to be disciplined? I know in my house, it was definitely not mom. I love my mother, I really do. But as we got older, mom was just an empty threat. She really was. For mom to yell at you, to threaten you, it didn't really mean a whole lot. And it wasn't the most effective thing in the world. Dad, however, excuse me, dad was different. You know, as soon as mom finally gave up the fight and looked up and called, Wayne, get over here. Well, then you stopped. Because when dad came over and said your name, you knew that something bad was going to happen. And there weren't very many times where we crossed that line, because the times I do remember were not good. I know there's one time he made my brother and me walk home, because we were fighting in the car. I, I remember he told us to stop, he told us to sit on our hands, and to shut up and not say anything for the rest of the way home. Well, that didn't work out that way, and so he pulled the car over, and he made us walk home. It wasn't that far. It was only like a mile and a half or something. But not, definitely not something you wanted to happen. It's definitely not something you wanted to have Dad do all the time. And so when Dad came over, you just stopped. What's your default position when it comes to God, though? When you know that you've done something wrong. It's not like you can go to to God the mother who's a little more gentle and hopes she doesn't punish you as bad as what God your father will. There's one God, a just God, a God who hates evil and desires that you do good. Now maybe it depends on how good or bad you've been, but how good have you been? If you think about it, not all of us are usually that good every single day as we should be. I mean, have you done well for your Heavenly Father? Or do you think that your Heavenly Father would just be disappointed? In Romans 7, Paul knows that feeling. In Romans 7, Paul demonstrates the struggle that he has inside of himself between wanting to do good for God and letting Him down. Believe it or not, he knows every single day that he lets his Heavenly Father down. But what does Paul say he should do about it? And what should we do about it is what we can learn from Paul as well. Because how spot on is Paul when he writes this section in Romans 7? When he says, and this is confusing, so you've got to kind of listen, but for what I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate 
to do, I do. I, I mean, is this not the life of a Christian? Paul had just finished telling the Romans how terrific God's law is to the believer. How much they love it and how he and all believers just desire to do what is good and to delight in God's law. It tells God's people what it is that pleases him. Is that not what the Christian lives for? I mean, how often do we in our prayers here not ask God for, uh, to grow our faith so that those good deeds and those fruits of our faith can grow even more? How, how often do we ask God here to turn us from our sinful ways and turn us instead to do good in this world? But Paul's annoyed. Paul's just frustrated because even though he just told the Romans how much Christians loved the law, as much as Paul himself delights in God's law, he just doesn't keep it. Paul writes that he just does everything he hates to do. And you have to imagine how emotional he gets as he uses himself as this example for the Romans. How frustrated he must be as he shows, out, uh, shows the Romans how much he loves the law and yet how bad he is at keeping it. And how it's not the law that's bad, but it's our inability to keep it that is everything wrong with us. You have to listen to the language that he uses here, because Paul uses such strong language when he writes this, when his inspired uh, soul just spills out all of these words. I mean, he says things like hate, desire, evil, delight, waging war, making prisoner, wretched, body of death. This is no small matter for Paul. This is no small thing that's weighing on his heart and his mind. It's, it's an issue that he just can't escape. <clears throat> for I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do. This I keep on doing. Now if I do what I do not want to do, it is no longer I who do it, but it is sin living in me that does it. And so I find this law at work. I, I find this fact to be true. Although I want to do good, evil is right there with me. Paul keeps breaking the law, which he as a Christian just longs to obey. Because every time he sees an opportunity to obey the law and to do good, evil is right there with him. His sinful nature living inside of him is present to make him do the exact opposite. And notice how Paul makes that distinction between that sinful nature and the new man. He says, it's no longer I who do it, but it is sin living in me. The new man wants nothing to do with sin. The new man wants nothing to do with the desires of the sinful nature. And yet standing right by the new man is the evil which the sinful nature ever so delights in. Evil is just right there with him. Not just idle and looking attractive and enticing, but it's, it's there ready to pounce. It's there ready to say, no, 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 no. We're not going to do that today. We're going to do something else today, something I enjoy much more. And it just drags him away to sin. Every single day, Paul has that battle rage inside of him. That battle between Paul the I, the new man, the one who delights in God's law and his sinful nature. 
It's a war that rages on and frustrates Paul. And what frustrates him most is that as he, the new man, through the power of the gospel, what frustrates him most is that while that new man delights in the law, the sinful man wins so often. He says that he desires to do good. He just can't do it. He just can't carry it out, he says. And he feels helpless. He calls himself a wretched man, a man whose body is so clearly and deservingly still subject to death. And as he writes to the Romans, and uses himself as that example to show what's true of all Christians, he shows every Christian that this battle rages inside of them. The battle of the good they want to do versus the sinful nature which always wants to do the opposite. That evil right there by their side. You see, every single day, every Christian has good intentions, and yet they fall prey to temptation. Every day, Christians agree that the law is terrific. I don't think any Christian would ever tell you they don't want to do what God wants them to do, and yet every day, the Christian has to pray for forgiveness, for failure to keep it. Every day, every Christian expresses the same desire as Paul, that desire to do good, but also shows the strength and utter evil of the sinful nature inside of them as they fail to live up to the law that they hold ever so dear in their hearts. Every day, even Christians demonstrate how there's nothing even vaguely or possibly good in them when it comes to their sinful nature. Every single day, the Christian cannot help but shout out with Paul, I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For the good, uh, for I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do, this I keep on doing. How frustrating and confusing is that to, to not understand yourself? I mean, do you understand what it is that you do? I mean, how many times can you think of where you swore you were never going to do something again just to do it again? How many times can you think of where you told yourself, I shouldn't do that, and five minutes later jumped right in without any second thought? Do you ever sit in guilt after sinning because you can't seem to stop? As you feed that habitual sin over and over because you know that God must be looking down with displeasure and disappointment along with anger? Do you ever just have sleepless nights where you toss and you turn because your conscience pricks you over and over and it just can't stop churning about what you've done wrong for the day because Satan is accusing you? Because Satan is telling you that you're not even near good enough to be the child of God? Doesn't it just hurt sometimes to know that you'd be ashamed if you were to stand before God right today with that evil standing right beside you? What is a person to do when evil is right there with them, ready to do all the evil that they don't want to do? What's a person to do when they tell God, I know better, but I failed? What is a person to do when they're smacked in the face by Satan once many times and they just can't get up anymore? Or when they feel like they shouldn't get up because it doesn't matter at this point, because they're just not good enough for who God wants them to be? It's almost enough to make you want to just fall down and shout with Paul, what a wretched man I am. And to admit that your body is deserving of death. 
However, we also shout with Paul, thanks be to God. As we despair of our sins and our own shortcomings and failure, Paul helps us to understand that there's another law at work. That there is something else set in place right there with us every single time that evil pulls us and entices us away to sin. He shows us a rescuer. He shows us a rescue from this body of death and evil that resides therein. He thanks God who delivers him through Jesus Christ, his Lord. You know, the original Greek text doesn't have a mention of that deliverance in there. It just says, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. But how great the NIV to put that in there to express Paul's whole thought, to show us exactly why and how the thanks is so, des- uh, we so deserve to give God thanks. Our Heavenly Father, who delivers us from this body of death by Jesus Christ, when we on our own have nothing but despair left. You see, this is where Christians differ from the rest of the world. This is why we know better. You know, they say ignorance is bliss, and that's just a bunch of fooey. Ignorance is not bliss. What we know for fact is so much better. Because our sins might bother us, but we also know that they're forgiven through Jesus Christ and what he's done for you. There may be no good that dwells in the sinful nature, but all good dwells in the new man through Jesus Christ. For every good thing that you have failed to do, Jesus did it, and he gave you the credit. For every sin that you've committed instead of doing good, Jesus took the punishment, and he took that upon himself, and he credited to you as your punishment taken and given as you deserve. Every time you go to the Father disappointed, the Father doesn't see disappointment, but He sees you clothed in the righteousness of Christ. He sees you as holy and righteous. He's pleased. Father, I'm sorry that I couldn't... No, don't worry about it, my child. Your rescuer has done everything for you. Father, I I, I just couldn't stop doing it. My son or daughter, I don't see that. Christ has taken that action instead. Father, don't treat me too harshly for my sins. No, no, my child. You deserve nothing for your sins. Your rescuer has taken that punishment upon himself. You are free. We can give thanks to God through Jesus Christ, because through Christ we have peace with God. Through Christ we're reconciled to God. Through Christ we are saved from the eternal wrath, saved for those whose evil has not been covered in righteousness. Through Christ you and I have died to sin and the law, and we arise anew every single day, clean slate, to serve him with no record of wrong before the judge. Through Christ we reign. Paul's frustrated because in this world he sins, but Paul's frustration is over and his shortcomings don't bother him now as he sees they're outweighed by the perfection that he has waiting for him, waiting in that body to come because we look forward to that same day when Jesus will return. And as Philippians says, he's going to return and make our bodies like his glorious body. 
You know, it's really sad when this struggle is, is a daily occurrence for some people. I got a, a friend back home who, who's been messaging me, and he lets me share this with you. And he's confused every single day on this same subject that Paul talks about. One of his basic, biggest problems is every single day he's not sure how God feels about him. Is God's anger going to show us as I slip back again and again into the things I don't want to do and the things that he doesn't want me to do? Or is God's grace and mercy going to prevail? Paul spends most of our text talking about that same struggle and yet notice how Paul doesn't ever question how God feels about him. In fact, he spends only one sentence one sentence at the end of our text to fix that whole struggle that he talks about. One sentence that fixes everything. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Conscience that God has given us may bother us, and rightly so. It, it bothers every person in the world. Now whether they know the true God or not, at some point, somebody has to wonder how somebody out there feels about them. How wretched it is to know that without the knowledge of Christ, there's no way to know that God loves them. There's no way to know that God wants to save them from that guilt and from the sins that bother them. And He wants to give them rest from their pain and rest from that struggle. By the grace of God, we sit here this morning because we know Christ. We know what he's done. We know our rescuer. We have rest from our troubles. He's fixed that struggle that goes on every single day inside of us. And Paul makes it clear that we can fall on and rely on the grace of God and Jesus Christ every single time. The evil I do not want to do, I keep doing. And yet every time the grace of God through our rescuer, Jesus Christ, triumphs. We may not always understand what we do, but brothers and sisters, understand what Christ has done for you. Because every time evil is right there with you, making you sin at every single turn, and yet at every single turn, there is Christ ready to forgive. Paul is so spot on about the hard life of a Christian with this inner struggle, but Paul's so right on, spot on when he talks about Christ. Imagine how emotional Paul was when he wrote about his frustration and his anger as it burned inside of him as he, as he thought about how a wretched person like himself couldn't do what he wanted to do. But think also, about the emotion that this inspired man of the Holy Spirit felt as he wrote that glorious final solution to it all. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. <clears throat> the good I want to do, I do not do, and yet we don't give up hope. But we find all hope in Christ and we trust in Him. And we lean on Him as that struggle continues. And as we get tired and weak from that struggle, so that you and I might find rest. Rest for another day, rest for another fight, and rest for our souls 
Thanks be to God, through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.